on the 23rd in the evening, I got back to Lviv. The war's in the air, but we just refused to believe that the full-scale invasion would happen. Katya Merzhinsky is an American of Ukrainian descent. She's moved around a lot, but she's been in Ukraine for the last six months. She was in Lviv the night the war broke out. A friend of mine called me at 5 a.m., waking me up and all in tears, crying, telling me that Russians are already entering Ukraine and there is bombing and shooting. So we decided to stick together. She has two small children and she also has a husband who decided to join Terra Defense on the same day and he left home. So we decided that she would come and pick me up and then we would come up with a plan. And uh, just a few minutes later, after she hung up, the siren started. It's a war siren that we heard in those old movies about the World War II. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Alexis Diao. It's Wednesday, March 2nd. Today, we're going to talk about the nearly 900,000 people who have fled Ukraine since last Thursday. One of those people is Katya. This is not Katya's first experience as a refugee. 30 years ago, she left Belarus for the U.S. with a refugee status. More recently, she returned to Belarus. But because of the political turmoil there, she fled to Ukraine. And now she's fleeing a third time. This time from a war. After she spoke with her friend Anna early that morning, she started to pack. I was trying to get my stuff together. Packing was just trying to stay calm and um, not to panic. But moving around was really difficult. I was uh, nearly paralyzed uh, because the siren sound was so loud and deafening and it would stop for five minutes and then it would start again it would stop for five minutes and it would start again and it was debilitating anna had wanted to come pick katya up but first she needed to stop for gas and she called me on the way to my house, and she told me that she's stuck at the gas station. And there was a very, very long line at the gas station. So I just walked by foot and um, found her in a long line. We were 100 meters away from the gas station, and it took us about two and a half hours to get some gas. They spent the night at Anna's house before trying to leave the country. That night was just hellish because we were waiting. Um, watching the news, getting the messages from the war zone, crying, crying a lot. We didn't believe it was happening. It was unreal. I don't think um, how I would be able to pull through if I was by myself. I would probably die right there. It was paralyzing. Anyway, we packed the cars and uh, with just the most necessary stuff, and 
put the kids in, and started driving. They decided to head toward the Slovakian border, where lines weren't as long. It took a day and a half to drive there, and they waited for more than 24 hours. We were exhausted from just sitting in the car, from the fumes, from freezing, from not sleeping. It was a forced night without sleep for me, and I already started hallucinating, and I just noticed that I think we all started hallucinating from the lack of sleep. So I went into the woods to go pee, and I just fell into some freaking swamp and was all wet because there were no toilets. And ugh. Anyway, from that point on, I can't remember much. It was like one big blur. I have no idea how we reached the border. They drove the winding roads through Slovakia until they reached Poland but couldn't find a place to stay long-term. Now, Katya's in Estonia. So what gives me hope going forward? It's not the hope that's driving me forward. It's seeing hell and knowing those people who left behind need help. Those people need help that needs to be saved. Ukraine is the most free-loving country I've seen. I've seen the world and I traveled everywhere. I can tell you that Ukrainians are the most free-loving people. They're a bit anarchistic, they're festive, they're, but they're so free-spirited. They really love the freedom. They always have. The fighters, their survivors, it's heartbreaking knowing that the best of them are dying right now. They do need help. The army needs more people. They need to be supported. They need more volunteers because Russians are coming and coming and coming and coming and Ukrainians are dying and dying and dying and and there is not much people in reserve. They do need help. That's Katya Merzhinsky. She spoke with our producer, Reni Svernovsky. Katya says she plans to go back to Ukraine She feels a sense of guilt for getting out when so many others could not. She wants to go back and help at the border and is looking for volunteer work with the Red Cross or another organization. After the break, we'll continue our conversation about the ongoing refugee crisis with our correspondents on the ground. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. 
monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Lviv in normal times is a little bit of a tourist town. It has a really beautiful old city. But today it's gone from being a tourist hub to a hub for the internally displaced, really. That's foreign correspondent Lovday Morris. She's been reporting from the western part of Ukraine, where the vast majority of people are traveling through to escape the war. Every day there are just trains in from Kiev and other more violent-stricken areas of Ukraine. Hordes of people coming off with, you know, real tales of horror, really, and either staying here in Lviv or trying to get onto Poland where the borders are really crushed or trying to get elsewhere in Western Ukraine to safety, to family, to relatives, to friends. As the war has intensified over the last few days, can you tell me where are people who are fleeing Ukraine going to? Initially, I think a lot of people wanted to get out of the country because the situation on the borders has been so arduous in some cases. There are tailbacks going for 20 miles. People are waiting for days in their cars. That means that some people have just given up on that and are instead trying to find shelter. The people who are fleeing, a lot of them are going to Poland. There's a huge Ukrainian community in Poland already. So a lot of people have personal connections there. But people really are going all over the place. Berlin, Cyprus, anywhere people have connections. So, Loveday, you have been spending a lot of time on the border between Ukraine and Poland. Tell me, what is it like there right now? What have you been seeing? I mean, I crossed on the the first day and already I think the Russians had entered at about 4 or 5 a.m. that morning. And I crossed the border at about midday, 1 o'clock. And already there was a huge crush of people at the gates as you crossed. And then coming out on that road, there was already a huge log jam of traffic. People were just pulling up their cars, getting out and walking for miles because the queues were just incredibly long. That situation has really built and built until there were reports of scuffles down at the gates. And, you know, people at some points have been waiting for three days It seems to have eased a little bit now. It used to be that people could only cross on one foot crossing into Poland, but now they've opened up a lot of the other crossings for foot traffic, which has helped take some pressure off. Still, I think it makes people really think twice about leaving the country, especially people with small children, considering how long they might have to wait out in the cold. It's sub-freezing temperatures here at the moment. It's snowing in Lviv. So these are big considerations for people to make. So, Loveday, of the people that you've spoken to who are in the process of leaving, how are they feeling? Well, obviously, people are hugely emotional. I mean, it's such a, obviously, hard to imagine to be forced to leave your home in a conflict. A lot of people who I was meeting initially in the first days were just completely shell-shocked, I think, and surprised, even though there had been a build-up to this. I think people just weren't really expecting the speed with which things happened. You know, they were expecting something, but a lot of people were shell-shocked initially. Initially here, it was people were arriving from areas that were relatively close. Now we're having people who have spent the past three days 
traveling across the country. I mean, Ukraine is huge. It's taking people three, four days to get here. Those people are arriving now and are much more traumatized. You know, they're really coming from areas that have been hit by a lot of violence. Have you talked to anybody who's actually heading back into Ukraine to help with the effort to fight against Russian troops? We met a lot of people at the checkpoints that were coming back in. Ukrainians who lived in London, Czech Republic, Poland, young men who wanted to come back and volunteer to fight, felt that they needed to do their bit for sure. Tell me about some of the conversations you've been having with people who are not able to leave Ukraine. I mean, aside from people who are volunteering to go back into the country and fight, you know, Ukraine has this martial law where men from the age of 18 to 60 can't leave. They have to stay. Tell me about, um, you know, your conversations with them. It's been really difficult for some families. You're seeing a lot of emotional separations or families having to make the choice whether to stay in the country. And not all men also want to fight. I mean, it's difficult. They're here in Lviv, actually, the mayor announced yesterday that men who have arrived with their families should go back to their hometowns to fight. You know, women and children are welcome here, but but men should return. There's a huge community effort, but you definitely speak to a lot of men who feel like they should be able to do other things for the war effort in general. So, Love Day, for the countries that have been receiving refugees, how are they responding to the crisis? Places like Poland. Poland's interesting because obviously there was a refugee crisis there on the northern border and they actually changed their asylum laws to make them very tight. And when it was largely Middle Eastern refugees and migrants being pushed across the Belarusian border, it's a completely different situation here. You know, they've said that Ukrainians are absolutely welcome and they'll do everything they can for them. Well, which is interesting to me because I think the thing that strikes me the most when I think about the refugee crisis that we're seeing right now is the way in which a lot of these people are being welcomed with open arms. And Loveday, you have covered a number of refugee crises. As you know, that is not always the case. Sure. I think the polls would frame it as the people crossing from Belarus were crossing illegally. Ukrainians actually can cross without a visa into Poland generally. So they don't class this as the kind of illegal immigration. These are all people fleeing from conflict, and there's a huge disparity for sure in how they're being treated. Poland had always really pushed back against any sharing of migration across Europe. And now they're in the situation where they're at the forefront of a migrant crisis and we're seeing things shift a little bit. What's the outlook here? How many more refugees are neighboring countries expecting to receive? And are those countries prepared to take them in the long term? Poland said it's expecting as many as a million Ukrainians. But I've seen estimates up to 5 million. The kind of bombardment that people are expecting in Kiev now and other cities, it's hard to know, really. Love Day, thank you so much. Thank you. Love Day Morris is a foreign correspondent for The Post. She's been traveling with our colleague John Gerberg, John has more recently made his way from Poland into Ukraine, and I asked him about the reports we were seeing and hearing 
about the discrimination some people have faced as they've tried to escape across the border. I came to join Love Day here in Lviv on Sunday, the 27th. And I know that what I saw when we crossed at the Medica crossing from Medica, Poland into Ukraine, first of all, as soon as you get across, there are thousands of people waiting to cross at the official border crossing. And you can see right away, it's visually, it's very stark. We were forbidden from actually filming by authorities right there. But there were basically many hundreds of brown folks who were hanging by the border without permission to cross. These were people that were not Ukrainian nationals that had made it all the way to the border, um, but they were told to wait. Meanwhile, the Ukrainians had been prioritizing Ukrainian women and children to be permitted to exit. About a mile back, there was another checkpoint where they literally had everybody separated from one side and another. So on the right side, you had all non-Ukrainian nationals. I met people from India, from Somalia, from Iraq, who were all waiting there with few answers. They said they had been waiting many, many hours, and they had been waiting in line for days just to get to that point, and the authorities weren't really giving them any answers. On the other side of the road were all the Ukrainian women and children who were being moved up much more quickly and literally put on buses to be shuttled the final mile to get to the border. There really were, on that Sunday at least, when I was there, two different realities depending on your nationality of how you could escape the war. Ukraine is known for letting in a lot of foreign students to come study in Ukraine, especially there are a lot of medical students, for instance. We spoke to one young man studying management from southern India, from Kerala state in southern India. His name was Mohammed Sajat. He had been in Kiev for a year and a half studying management when shells started hitting Kiev and woke him up to his building shaking on Thursday morning. He gathered six of his friends who were all from the same state, and the six of them hired a taxi for uh, $1,500 and took it all the way to the border crossing and then finished the route on foot. And they had gotten that far, and there they stood a mile from the border, but not allowed to move through the checkpoint, at least at that point. I mean, what starts on paper as a policy of national priority does, in the end, effectively translate into a two-class process. I mean, the reality is whatever nationality you have, everybody in that line on that road was trying to flee a war. John Gerberg is a video journalist for The Post. The story was produced by Ariel Plotnik. At least two students, one from India and another from Algeria, were killed in the embattled city of Kharkiv. Tens of thousands of students who are studying abroad in Ukraine are calling for support from their governments as the war continues. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sam Baer and edited by Maggie Penman. I'm Alexis Diao. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.